Now, turn in your Bibles. I think first of all, we'll go back to Acts. Acts chapter 1. And let me read just verses 9 through 11. So Acts 1, 9 through 11. We've already read the previous verses, and really verses 1 through 5 are, are also very important, but we'll skip over the reading of them right now. Verses 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And now turn to Luke, the last chapter in Luke, chapter 24, Luke 24, and I think I'll begin reading in verse 36, just for the larger context. So Luke 24, beginning in verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, remember earlier, Jesus appeared to three of them on the road to Emmaus. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And that's important. He has flesh and bones. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still uh, disbelieved uh, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, 
he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would speak to us out of it. We know that it is the Spirit who speaks the word into our minds, into our hearts, and we pray that the Spirit would use the word today. Again, that we would be encouraged, but that Christ would be magnified. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me say a few things by way of introduction concerning the ascension. The ascension is the climactic event in the life and ministry of Jesus. It doesn't end with the resurrection. As important as the incarnation of Christ was, as important as the death of Christ on the cross was, as important as the resurrection of Christ from the dead was, it's not done until he ascends into heaven. And yet, out of all of these events, this is probably the one that is, you know, forgotten. How many churches will have Ascension Sunday? Some will. But when we're thinking about the, the work of Christ, how often do we include the Ascension? This is the climatic event. This is the climax of the work of Christ on earth. When he ascends up to the Father. And none of the other stuff would even be possible. None of the other stuff would even be important if it weren't for the ascension of Christ into heaven. And so it is the, the culmination of his saving work. Now, that doesn't mean that we should in any way diminish the rest of the work, right? I mean, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he, he magnifies the resurrection. You know, if without the resurrection, everything else would be vain. And he's right. But we remember that Paul's writing in a certain context, a certain historical setting, a particular church. And in that day, there were several churches who had some misconceptions, even bad theology concerning Christ and his return. He's addressing that with that church. And by magnifying the resurrection, he in no way is diminishing the ascension of Christ. And so, by pointing to the ascension of Christ as the climatic event, in no way is to make, say anything about the other events. This morning, from the two passages. I have five points, five words. Um, if you want them now, I can give them to you, and we'll follow these along as we look at this passage. First of all, we have demonstration. Secondly, we'll look at preparation. Then we'll look at the ascension. Fourthly, reaction. And finally, conclusion. But if you didn't get those, we'll go through them uh, as we go through this passage. Well, the first word 
is demonstration. What do I mean by that? Why was Christ hanging around, as it were, for 40 days after the resurrection? He could have gone, but he didn't. And we might even say, in a sense, that Jesus could have just gone off to a mountain someplace or a private place and just gone off to heaven. Why is he doing all of this? Well, a large part of it is that it is a demonstration of who he is. A demonstration that he has accomplished the work that the Father sent him to do. And the resurrection is demonstrated by his presence with them for 40 days. Remember, Paul, who tells us a few things that we wouldn't know. Otherwise, he says, look, 500 people and probably more saw him. Just go ask some of them. Why does he call for them to be the witnesses? To, to demonstrate that Christ indeed rose from the dead. Why is he doing these things? Why is he meeting with them? Why, why does he eat? Right? At one point he says, hey, do you have anything to eat? And he eats with them. To demonstrate he's alive. He has a body. It's a demonstration of the fact that Christ rose from the dead physically with a body. And when we speak of the ascension, those are the kind of terms that we sometimes use. There's a, a visible ascension, wasn't it? We saw that. They're looking at him. It was a bodily resurrection. I mean, he even points out, you know, he has flesh and bones, right? Let's eat. That's the body that's going to be ascending into heaven. It's a historical event. It's factual. And then there's another term that is sometimes used. You know, we have bodily resurrection, visible resurrection, historical resurrection. And sometimes they'll say it was locally. It was a local resurrection. By that they mean he's gone from one place to another place. He left earth. Where did he go? Well, he went to heaven from one place to another place. He didn't just disappear. Wasn't that Jesus just wandered around out of sight until he died? <laughs> no, he went from one place to another place. And why is he doing all of this? Well, primarily as a demonstration that he is alive. A demonstration that he did indeed rise from the dead. You know, even here, touch me. Touch, touch my hands, touch my feet. I got a body. There's bones in this body. Let's eat. To demonstrate he was indeed alive. And of course, it is a demonstration that he is the Son of God. It's a demonstration that he has done all that the Father has asked him to do. So, that's just the first thought, simple thought. 
Why is he here? Why is he doing these things? It's a demonstration that he's alive. The second word here is preparation. Preparation. What do I mean by that? Jesus is preparing them for his departure. That's what he's doing here. Besides demonstration, it's preparation. Things are happening. You know, things are moving forward. Something's going to happen. I'm going to be leaving. I'm preparing you for that event. And there is a sense in which Jesus all along has been preparing them for his departure. He has been preparing them for the ascension. I think of, and I better turn there, um, Luke chapter 6. No, I've got the wrong chapter. It's um, so. Where's the transfiguration? I thought it was right here on this page. Uh, someone probably knows. Chapter nine. Oh, see, I'm dyslexic. My I switched the six and the nine. We see that beginning in verse 28. Very interesting here. Eight days later, he took Peter, John, and James, went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. Moses and Elijah. Now, I know that you've thought about this. This is just a remarkable thing, isn't it? Go up the mountain, this great glory around him, and there's two men, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of, what does it say? His departure. What are they talking about, the three of them? His departure. And there's a note in your ESV, the bottom of the page, the word departure there in the Greek is exodus. Isn't it interesting that Moses is talking about Jesus' exodus? Well, these men are talking about his departure. They're not talking about his crucifixion. They're not talking about his resurrection. They're talking about his departure. What's that? His ascension. Now we know, you know, Peter said, well, let's make some tents. Let's all stay here a while. But it's interesting that that's what they're talking about. Even in this event, he is preparing them for the fact that he's going away. He's going to depart. On Easter Sunday, we looked at another passage out of the Gospel of John. We won't turn there right now. But remember in the Gospel of John, we looked at uh, Mary Magdalene. And she's holding on to the feet of Jesus. And what does he say? Don't hold on to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. 
I mean, he's not hiding this fact, is he? He's preparing them for this departure. He said, I'm going to go to my God, your God. I'm going to go to my father, your father. You don't need to hold on to me. I'm not leaving yet, but I will. He's preparing them. Or in John chapter 15, he's preparing them when he says that I'm going to go away and it's a good thing. It'll be a good thing that I go away because I'm going to send the paraclete. I'm going to send the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. What's he doing? He's preparing them, isn't he? All along, Jesus has been preparing them by speaking of his departure. He even does that here. Both here and in the other passage, he, he's just telling him a little more. Here I am. I got flesh and blood. Pay attention to what's happening. And then in Acts, remember, he said, just stay until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. He was preparing them all along. He's always preparing us. We sang earlier the song, it says, Through days of preparation, thy grace has made us strong. Even now, these are days of preparation, aren't they? He's always preparing us. He's preparing us for what? For his return. But then he was preparing them for his departure. He made no secret about it. Yes, like in the Gospel of Mark, he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'll rise again. Well, that wasn't the end of it. He'd been telling them all along, I'm going to ascend. I'm leaving. And so he's been preparing them for this day. And now, the next point, next word is ascension. So let's just look at some of the details here. And we're in Luke 24 right now. And they led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Let's just pause there. Think about this for a moment. Jesus, right? He's going to leave. And he's going to be taken up, isn't he? going to be taken up by some visitors, by some angels. And he stops just before leaving. And he raises his hands. What is that a sign of? It's a sign of blessing. He blessed them. Now, what does that mean? Well, hard to say exactly. You know, in the, in the scripture, uh, we often speak of us blessing God. Well, that just means that we praise God. We give glory to God in various ways. But when God blesses us, the primary thought is giving us grace and favor. It's to receive the favor of God. We say, bless my soul, but praise the Lord. But God blesses his people. How? With his grace and favor. And in in some way, Jesus is pronouncing a blessing upon his people. That's what he's doing. We don't know exactly what he said, but what it implies is he is, in a sense, pronouncing a blessing or may the grace and favor of God be upon you. May you go in peace. 
May the Lord protect you and keep you. I just think that's a marvelous little picture, a little vignette, right? A little snapshot of the ascension. He stops and he raises his hands and he blesses them. I would imagine that made quite an impact on his followers. And it was while he blessed them, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So you get the picture. His hands are raised. He's pronouncing a blessing. And while he's doing that, he starts to go up. Now, we learn over in, in Acts. Let me just turn back there. You don't have to turn back. Um, and you have to remember something here. I, I, I've spoken about this before. But Luke is the writer of both, isn't he? And it's really one continuous story. Because he ends the Gospel of Luke with the Ascension. Where does he begin the book of Acts? With the Ascension. And he said, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. So he just picks up the story, doesn't he? But he gives a little more detail here in Acts. As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They saw Jesus, hands raised, and he had just said to them, I have flesh and blood, let's eat. And he rose in a bodily, physical form, form. And there were two angels there. And they took him. He was taken up into heaven. And what did the angels say? Why are you standing here looking? Why are you standing here gazing? Now, there are possibly two thoughts here. Could be one, but I would say there's probably two thoughts here. First of all, why are you standing here looking? Are you surprised by this? He's been telling you all along that he's leaving, he's going to depart. Why do you stand here gazing? But I think the, the thing is more probable is that there's, the angels are saying to them, why do you just stand here? Why are you standing here? He's given you commandments. You have things to do. And what did they do? They went to Jerusalem. And so the angels are saying, what are you doing here, guys? 
So those angels, um, asked those questions, and Jesus was taken up into heaven. Into heaven. It's always been kind of heaven. Hmm. He was taken up into heaven. We, they see him go up, don't they? And they see him disappear in a cloud. And again, Jesus could have just disappeared. I mean, he, they didn't have to see him leave. He said he was going to. Maybe it would have been a matter of faith for them to believe it. But he makes a visible demonstration of it, doesn't he? And they see him go up into heaven. Now, the word heaven, from what I understand, is used at least three different ways in the Bible. It, it can be this, you know, just the, the air around us, the clouds, the sky, you know, where the birds fly around. It can also speak of what we would call the universe, where the stars are, you know, where the sun is, where the planets are. The heavens declare the glory of God. There's another way of thinking of heaven. But there's a third heaven. It's where God is. Where God sits enthroned. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Heaven is where God is. They couldn't trace his you know, ascension into the very presence of God. Now some, not to get too too weird here, but, uh, and this isn't new, I mean, this has been batted around for many years. Is there a fourth dimension? We live in a third dimension, don't we? Or three-dimension world, don't we? He departed up and he went up into the clouds and disappeared into heaven. Could it be that the clouds were like a, a curtain where he entered into another space, another place that we have no idea even exists? I mean, how far did he have to go? <laughs> Could the Hubble telescope point up and find heaven? So, but he went into heaven. And the heaven here is where God is. Wherever that is, however long it took him, it seems like he just disappeared and went right into the, the throne room of God. And so that's the ascension, the departure of Christ going up into heaven. And then we notice the reaction. Verse 52, there's three parts to this. They parted from them, was carried up into heaven, and they, first of all, did what? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. Worshipped who? The ascended Christ. They fell, as it were, down and, and in, in worship and, and reverence and awe and worshipped him. And they know that only God is to be worshipped. 
I mean, they know that, right? From the Old Testament scriptures, only God is to be worshipped. Even Christ spoke of worshipping God the Father. And they worshipped Christ because they recognize He is deity. He just ascends right up into the place of God. Into the heavens where God is. They worship Him. I wonder if at any time, and I'm quizzing myself here, on Ascension Sunday, or any thought of the Ascension, does it bring the spirit of worship? That's the effect it had on them that day. They saw Him go up and they worshipped. They adored. They bowed down before. Paid homage to the ascended Christ. And not only that, they returned to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's what Christ told them to do. We read of it. Christ said, go to Jerusalem and wait. So, you know, commentators and pastors speaking, they tend to copy each other. If one guy says one way, everybody says it the same way. So a lot of them will say, after they worshipped, they obeyed. They returned to Jerusalem in obedience to his command. Because that's the, after worshipping him, the next thing is, what did he tell us to do? What did he command us? Go to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. I mean, when you worship Christ, the risen and now ascended King, what do you want to do? You want to do what He wants you to do. You want to obey Him. And so they obeyed Christ by returning to Jerusalem. And they did so with great joy. Alistair Begg, you know, he has a great imagination and he likes to read things into passages and he'll tell you, you know, I'm, I'm making this up, but there's a little place here where he made something up. He said, I kind of picture, you know, uh, Luke is narrating this maybe to an amanuensis, you know, secretary who's writing it down. And he says, and write down, they, they return to Jerusalem. Okay, so return to Jerusalem. He said, well, let's say that they return to Jerusalem with joy. Okay, uh, returning to Jerusalem, what's that? Well, wait a minute. How about great joy? <laughs> they return to Jerusalem with great joy, super joy, overflowing joy. It wasn't just joy, it was great joy. Why? Because they saw Christ ascending into heaven. They recognized immediately who that is. And they couldn't wait to get back to Jerusalem. You know those, I mean, in chapter 24, they're all sad, aren't they? And they're having a hard time. They're struggling with this. That, I mean, the three guys say, what the are you a visitor here? Don't you know what's happened? The one that we thought was the Messiah? He died. They killed him. He was buried. And he walks along and talks to them. They're very discouraged. 
But now, they're filled with great joy. It is a confirmation of everything that he ever said. And their hearts are just bubbling over. I mean, is that the way we respond to the ascension of Christ? I realize it's different. We're 2,000 years later. We weren't there to visibly see it, but we see it by faith, don't we? We know that it's a fact. It's a historical event. Does it cause joy, great joy in our souls when we read of and think about the ascension? And then it says, and we're continually in the temple Blessing God. Of course, before Pentecost, that's where they worshipped. They assembled at the temple, didn't they? So every day they were going back. But when they went back this time, they were just praising God. Praising God, blessing God. All glory to God. Hearts filled with joy, hearts filled with praise. Why? Because Christ arose, ascended from this earth to go to the Father. And again, does it elicit this kind of response in our own souls? Is there worship? Is there joy? Is there obedience? Is there praise to God because of the ascension of Christ? And then finally, a conclusion. What is Christ doing right now? We know he's not here, right? But the scriptures give us some good descriptions of what Christ is actually doing right now. I'm sure you've thought about that. What is Jesus doing? I mean, he went up with a body, right? Flesh and blood and bones. Well, I've combined a couple of short lists from different people. And I have seven things that Jesus is doing. And I'm just going to go through them quickly. What is Jesus doing now? Well, first of all, he's sitting. Now, the scripture says when he ascended, he did what? He went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, that doesn't mean that there is a a literal throne where God is sitting on this throne, and there's another throne next to it, and Jesus is on his right hand. John Stott told a little joke here. Does Jesus always, I mean, does God the Father shake hands and do everything with his left hand? Why? Well, Jesus is sitting on his right hand. But that's, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Well, God doesn't have hands, right? He doesn't have a body to sit down. He's a spirit. But when it says that Jesus sat down, it is an indication 
that he has completed and finished his work. It's like when God rested on the seventh day. It wasn't because he was tired. Remember, he just sat back and said, oh, it's all good. He rested. This is what Jesus can now do. He can sit down. He's done. The work is finished. Now, it's not all finished, but the saving work is complete, and God has welcomed him back into heaven. And he sits to indicate he's now resting from his work. Secondly, he's ruling. He's seated at the right hand of God. What is that? It's a place of authority and power. Remember, Jesus said, all authority, all power has been given unto me. And when he ascends into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God, it's a place of authority and power. And right now, he's ruling and reigning. Reigning over the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing. He's ruling. He is the Lord. The ascended Lord is seated on a throne to rule and to reign. Number three, he's interceding. Remember, this is what the Scripture declares, is that the ascended Christ is interceding. He ever lives to intercede. And if you go to that passage in Hebrews 7, uh, the next thing we think about is he's on a throne, he's reigning. And from that throne, he is interceding. He is our, our go-between. He is interceding with his blood on our behalf. Making intercession for us. Another thing that he's doing is he's gifting. The first gift that he gave was the Holy Spirit. Listen, I have to go away. It's good that I go away because when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And what happens? The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit continues to gift the church, doesn't he? I mean, Ephesians chapter 4. The ascended Christ, that's the context, the ascended Christ is giving gifts to the church through the Spirit. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, to do the work of service. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit, Christ continues to gift the church. And aren't we glad for that? Number five, he's sending. Remember he said, when I go, go back to Jerusalem, you've got a commission to fulfill. You're going to go. Remember the end of Matthew. Go back, wait for the Holy Spirit, and then go. And he names various places, beginning at Jerusalem and moving out, go. I'm sending you. And he continues to send People, disciples, 
to go out to the world. One of the reasons why we pray that there be laborers so that they can go. Well, who's sending them? Christ is sending them. Christ sent someone to tell you. The next word, he's gathering. He's sending and gathering. He's gathering his people together. Gathering his church, his assembly. Gathering the, the lost sheep. However you want to put it. He's gathering his people together, isn't he? That's what he's doing. And seventhly, he's waiting. First of all, he's patient, isn't he? That's why you're saved today. Because of his patience. His kindness is meant to bring you to repentance. And Peter tells us that he's waiting until the last soul is saved. And then he'll return. But right now he's waiting. And ultimately what he's waiting for is for the earth to be made his footstool. When everyone recognizes that he is Lord. To the glory of the Father. These are glorious thoughts of what Christ is doing now. And I'm sure there are some other things. But to just wrap this up, Christ ascended. He departed, he left, and he went to be with the Father. And this was the final act. I haven't even spoken of, and I won't take time. The, the, the ascension into heaven was his coronation day, where angels and saints together welcomed him back to heaven. Derek Thomas speaks it of as his homecoming. He left heaven, didn't he? Took upon himself flesh. And now he takes flesh and blood and goes back to heaven. Great homecoming day. Great coronation day. When they welcome him back, the conquering hero, victorious king, who has come and defeated Satan, death, the grave, and released us from the power of sin. And one day we'll claim us all. What a glorious day that will be. And the fact that he left and they saw him leave and he said, you know, I'm coming back. That was a signal to them that they will go there one day. Remember, perhaps they remember that Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that one day where I am, you can be. Why? 
because he cannot be separated from his people. He wants to be with his people. He wants to take you where he is. And the ascension says all of that. I'm going home and one day, I'm going to come and get to you. I'm preparing a place for you right now. Whatever that means, I'm preparing a place for you. Amen. Praise God for the ascended Christ. And may our, our own hearts be full of joy and worship and submission as we think about the ascended Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. A day that historically has been set aside by the church to remember the ascension of Christ. We thank you for the fact of the ascension and what it means to us. We thank you for the record of the ascension in your scripture, inspired by your spirit. Thank you for revealing this truth to us and all that it means. We pray that our own hearts would be full of worship, full of joy, full of obedience as we await Christ's return. In his name, amen.